Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Hello, City Walk. How are we doing this morning? Yeah, we're, I'm, we're glad you're here this morning. Whether you're here in person, you're watching online this evening, or, or listening any time throughout the week, I hope you're having a great day. Uh, my name is Chris Dowdy. I am not Chris Fincham, as you may uh, already have noticed. But I, I'm the pastor of Family Ministries here at CityWalk, and I am really, really glad to be able to be able to share God's word with you this morning. It, it's a privilege, and I don't take it lightly. Normally, I'm next door chasing kids around. Today, Steve is taking that honor for me, and uh, we're going to look into God's word. But first, I'm going to ask you guys to bow in prayer with me, and let's just ask God to anoint this time in truth. God, we, we need your spirit to show up right now. I ask that you would empower me to give the words that you want, and that, that, Lord, your spirit would just have free reign in this room, that you'd work in my heart and in the hearts of everyone who will hear this truth, and that we would respond well for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We all know a Matt. Uh, my friend Matt is one of my oldest friends, and I love Matt. He is a fantastic guy. He has a great heart, a lot of talent, but Matt has a lot of setbacks, we all know a Matt, right? We, we know Matt, and see, Matt, my guy, is a, he's a fantastic guy. I keep saying that because it's just true. He's the kind of guy you would want your girls to date and that you would want your, your boys to be friends with. He loves his family. He works hard. He serves in church. He's generous. Matt's a fantastic individual, but it just seems sometimes like he's a little snake bit. In high school, if you would ask the girls in, our, in their student ministry, like, hey, what guy are you looking for? They would have described Matt. Some of those girls actually, and I heard them do this, they would even say, we want a guy like Matt. But none of them were actually interested in Matt, okay? Like, Matt fought really severe dyslexia to graduate from high school. He got his bachelor's. Matt even earned a master's degree, something I have never done. But I'll tell you what, he had to make a lot of sacrifices to get there. You know, when, when Matt's hard work was noticed and he was awarded an internship or two, he worked hard, he did his thing. But even after college, he still really struggled finding full-time employment. Several career paths have just not worked out for Matt. And he's actually bounced around between several states and jobs. Now, if you're thinking in the back of your head, nah, this Matt sounds like he's a loser, I am emphatically telling you that you're wrong. Matt is a fantastic guy, a great friend, and an upstanding man. But for whatever reason, God has just not opened doors for my friend Matt at the same time he's opened them for other people. It's just what it is. You know, even when I called Matt to ask if I could share his name and a little bit of his story this morning, Matt was telling me about another happy sacrifice that he was making for his family. That's just who Matt is. We all know a Matt. 
Someone who just seems to have hard breaks all the time. And you may even feel like you are a mat. And you're not alone. Our own experiences, countless songs, and stories all tell us that life is full of hard times. Whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, we all know that life can be rough a lot. And one thing I love about the scriptures is that they do not candy coat life. The Bible talks a lot about ups, a lot about downs, and a whole lot about the ugliness in the middle. And this month, we've been working through the early life of King David, right? And David was not an easy street guy, especially early in his life. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, his title is king. We call him King David. He was doing okay. But I invite you to look a little bit more closely at the first three decades of his life. David grew up as a shepherd boy, out in the fields, tending smelly, let's be honest, stupid sheep. He spent extended time out in the elements. Now, sure, as an early teenager, David was anointed to be the future king of Israel. But honestly, from that moment until his 30th birthday when he was coronated, he enjoyed almost constant misery and haranguing. David had a tough existence. You know, as you read through the book of 1 Samuel, outside of defeating Goliath, it is a book with a lot, whole lot of struggles for a young guy who was supposed to have a promising future. Now, I don't know exactly why any of us face the struggles that we do, but I know we all face them. And, and, and this is what I do know too. They, they could be caused by ourselves, by others. I don't claim to know any of that, but I know that God uses those struggles in our lives. How we handle those struggles matter because God puts us in situations that reveal our hearts. And I want to say that again. God puts us in situations that reveal our hearts. We often face situations that reveal what we really love and who we truly are. It's just how it is. Sometimes it's glorious, and most of the time, it can be pretty ugly. Yet God is more concerned about where our hearts are and us growing closer to his heart than he is about our own happiness or any temporary successes we enjoy down here. That's the way it is. This principle is found throughout scriptures, but it is abundantly clear in the portion of David's life that we're going to look at this morning. So we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 24. Last week, the other pastor, Chris, talked about Jonathan and David, their relationship and how they were friends. He challenged us to ask this question, what can I do to be a better friend? It's a good question to ask, and it's something I, I thought about this week as I thought about how I interact with people. You see, Jonathan David and David had a great relationship except for one minor problem. Jonathan's dad wanted to murder David. Just a minor problem. It would probably put a, a wrench in most relationships. Saul's son Jonathan stood to lose the most if David became king. Jonathan would lose his royal line. He would lose his chance to be in the palace. But Jonathan didn't care about all that. Because Jonathan embraced God's plan for himself so he could celebrate God's plan for David. As a result, Jonathan stepped away from his 
his whole protecting his throne, and he warned David that King Saul wanted to murder him. And as a result, their friendship, they only met each other once the rest of their lives because David had to go hiding out in the wilderness to avoid being murdered by the king. Living, think about it, he's living in the arid mountains of Israel, dry, not pleasant, scraping by on whatever food he can find, trying to hide and avoid being found by Saul and his army. David lived a miserable existence. He was certainly not living like a king. To put it in a modern perspective, David was supposed to be the CEO of Tesla. However, he ended up sitting at the customer service desk of PG&E. All right? That's, that's not fun. But that's where we find David. And as we come to 1 Samuel 24, we find an interesting turn of events. Let's look at verse 2. So Saul took 3,000 of Israel's fit young men and went to look for David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. Which, if David is living in a place called the rocks of the wild goats, that's why he needed fit young men to search after David, because that sounds terrible. When Saul came to the sheep pens along the road, a cave was there, and he went in to relieve himself. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Now that phrase, relieve himself, means exactly what you think it means. Even though Saul was king, when nature called, he had to answer. And Saul did exactly what you and I would do. He wanted to relieve himself by himself in peace. He didn't bring a bunch of guards into the cave with him. Saul thought he had found a convenient restroom, but instead he had found David's hideout, which tells us a lot about David's living conditions, right? What David thought of as home, Saul thought of as a potty. Nevertheless, let's look at verse 4. So they, that's the handful of guys who had been following David. So they said to him, look, this is the day the Lord told you about. I will hand your enemy over to you so you can do to him whatever you desire. David's friend believed that this dream scenario was from God. Then David got up and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Now, this does seem like a golden opportunity for David. The guy who is hunting his life, the guy who is standing in the way of him being king, the guy who God had rejected, Saul had come by himself into a cave and let's say was in a compromising position. Quite literally, he's caught with his pants down. And instead, David doesn't kill him. He merely sneaks up behind Saul and cuts off a portion of Saul's royal garments. Look at verse 5. Afterward, David's conscience bothered him. I want to read that again because we, we can read over that and I want you to get that point. Afterward, David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, as the Lord is my witness, I would never do such a thing to my Lord the Lord's anointed. I will never lift my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. David had a chance to fulfill his own destiny. He could have stopped hiding out in porta potties. All he had to do was sneak up behind Saul and make one good thrust with a sword. But he didn't do it because God had made one thing clear. God had told David not to hurt 
his anointed. If David had struck Saul that day, it would have been murder, plain and simple. God had placed Saul in his office of king, and God needed to be the one to remove Saul from his kingship. God had put David in a situation that would reveal his heart. I I like to think of it as the EKG of faith, or the stress test of righteousness, or my favorite, is the angiogram of patience. I love wordplay. And David had a choice to trust God and to take care of things himself, or to take care of things himself. Would he do right and continue to suffer, to wait? Or would David exact his own justice on Saul and force his own timeline now? Just like David, God puts us in situations that reveal our hearts. So let's keep our eyes open to that fact. God often uses these situations to draw on our own, our own patience, our own lust, our own greed, and our own desire for leisure. See, these are really the situations that try men's souls. And as David faced his test, he simply cut a small corner off of Saul's robe, just to show he could. David walked up, if you will, to the line of sin and placated himself just by trying to embarrass Saul and cut off a piece of his garment. But the act bothered David immediately. He knew he had followed the letter of the law, but he had not followed the spirit. David has, in a sense, fought his own battles. And as a trophy, he now held a piece of shabby cloth in his hand and had a lump in his throat. So at verse 7, we see that Saul left the cave and went on his way. After that, David got up and went out of the cave and called to Saul. He says, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David knelt low with his face to the ground and paid homage. So David lets Saul get a little bit away from the cave. He comes out and says, hey, he gets his attention. David continues in verse 9. Why do you listen to the words of people who say, look, David intends to harm you. You can see with your own eyes that the Lord handed you over to me today in the cave. And make no doubt about it, God designed this situation. David continues, someone advised me to kill you, but I took pity on you and said, I won't lift my hand against my Lord since he is the Lord's anointed. Look, my father, look at the corner of your robe in my hand, for I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. Look, Saul was moved by David's show of mercy, and he promised to stop, fulfill, stop pursuing David. Look, I give up. Now, that promise didn't take, because just two chapters later, Saul has the same 3,000 guys, and he's chasing David through the wilderness again. But as we look at this story unfold, God is doing some really interesting things in David's life. Because in between this situation and this opportunity to kill Saul and this second opportunity that's going to come in chapter 26, David has another encounter with someone in in 1 Samuel 25 named Nabal. Now, Nabal was a very rich farmer in the area where David had been hiding out. And at the time of harvest, David and his men are hungry. So he reaches out to Nabal and says, hey, Nabal, I've protected your your flocks when they were out in the fields and there were some, some bandits from the Philistines. Could you, while while it's harvest time, could you maybe throw some food our way because we're starving? Now, Nabal doesn't just decline 
to help David. Nabal basically, he insults David by the way he reacts to David. And David's reaction, well, it wasn't great either. Another opportunity that reveals David's heart. David was angry. Matter of fact, David tells his men to grab their swords, and his original angry intent is to murder Nabal and kill every male in Nabal's house. Again, God put David in a situation that would reveal his heart. And this time, the answer was that David still was very much in love with himself. Now, by God's grace, I have never strapped on my sword with intent, all right? But I have definitely been in situations that have revealed my selfish heart to me. Am I alone there? I don't think I am. Thankfully, Nabal's much wiser wife, her name was Abigail, met David before he got to Nabal's house. Abigail offered him some food and talked some sense into him. Basically, she talked him out of his impassioned bloodlust. And David realized, hey, look, I was about to head down a really bad path. And what's cool about this story and why I want to make sure we bring it up is that only days later, God leveled the playing field with Nabal. You see, 10 days after this encounter, Nabal died of his own devices. And what I believe is as David looked at this situation, he saw a real life keeping of God, God's promises. Think about it. God took care of David. God met David's needs. God took care of David's enemies. Nabal died of his own devices. And David was able to be a righteous man. He saw it play out just like he's been saying it's going to play out for King Saul. So as we get to chapter 26, we see David's heart more resolute. David takes another step. Look at verse 3. Saul camped beside the road at the hill of Aquila, opposite Jeshimon. David was living in the wilderness and discovered Saul had come there for him. So David sent out spies and knew for certain that Saul had come. Immediately, verse 5 says, David went to the place where Saul had camped. David is being more proactive this time. He's not waiting for Saul to walk into his cave. Now David actually goes to Saul's camp. And we continue reading. He saw the place where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of his army, were laying down. Saul was laying inside the inner circle of the camp with the troops camped around him. So imagine the story here. Saul is sleeping in the middle of 3,000 soldiers with his chief general sleeping right beside him. This is a pretty good security force. But in verse 7, that night, David and Abishai, one of David's better friends, came to the troops. And Saul was laying there asleep in the inner circle of the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. Abner and the troops were laying around him can you imagine this crazy scene? David and Abishai maybe just tiptoeing over people, trying to be quiet, and they, they sneak through all these troops, and they're at the very middle of the camp, and they're peering over Saul with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. In verse 8, then Abishai said to David, today God has delivered your enemy to you. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Let me thrust the spear through him into the ground just once. I won't have to strike him twice, Abishai says. Abishai offers to take all, the, all, all of the stuff away once and for all. 
If you will, it's like Samwise Ganji, right? Trying to help Frodo Baggins with carry the ring to Mount Doom. Abishai offers to carry the burden. David doesn't have to carry the guilt. And this sounds like a great deal. But look at David's response in verse 9. Don't destroy him, David said. For who can lift a hand against the Lord's anointed and be innocent? And I want you to note the certainty of what David's about to say in verse 10. David added, as the Lord lives, the Lord will certainly strike him down. Either his day will come and he will die, like Nabal in the previous chapter, or he will go into battle and perish, which is what actually happens in in chapter 31. However, as the Lord is my witness, I will never lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. Instead, take the spear and the water jug by his head and let's go. So David took the spear and the water jug by Saul's head, and they went their way. They leave with basically Saul's weapon and his water bottle. No one saw them. I love this phrase here. No one saw them, no one knew, and no one woke up. They all remained asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord came over them. This deep sleep from the Lord is why I know for certain for certain that God designed all these situations. God facilitated these situations not so that David could kill Saul or kill Nabal. No, the purpose was so that David could know the condition of his heart. See, here's the truth that we have to fully understand. God already knows the condition of my heart and your heart. He knows it right now. But he puts us in these situations so that we can know the condition of our hearts. Because here's something else that's true. Our hearts don't change unless we want them to change. They don't. And God puts us in situations so that we can know our true trouble, our real struggles. We can know our deep need for heart healing. After leaving Saul's camp, David climbs to the top of a nearby little mountain and he shouts to Saul and the troops to wake them up. Again, Saul is guilty and he's like, hey, you're right, I shouldn't be chasing you. This time Saul goes home to the palace and David is still left at the end of our passage, sitting out in the wilderness, no kingdom, just hoping and praying that God will provide some food and they can make it through the next week. But at the end of it all, David's heart is growing closer to God's. And that is the key of the point. You know, just like David, God also puts us in situations that reveal our hearts. So it begs the question, what situations have popped up in your life this lately that reveal your heart? How did it go? Maybe, if you're like me, you have a neighbor that beats on things at all hours of the day. I'm not lying. I don't know what they're doing in their backyard, building mausoleums. I'm not sure, but they are constantly banging on something in their backyard. That reveals your heart real fast, okay? It does. How about maybe it's a recent episode where you have a one-year-old that breaks, you know, something you really value, like a Coca-Cola decanter that you can't find anywhere on the internet anymore. That reveals your heart, okay? It does. It reveals it real fast, Um, I'd love to say it reveals it really well, but it didn't reveal it well that day, all right? Perhaps you're recalling a post on social media that just made your blood boil. It was from a friend, but, you know, we all know those. These are situations that reveal our heart. 
Maybe, maybe it's possible that your situation was like David's. You had an opportunity to do something good now instead of maybe waiting for God's time and then to do it God's way. I don't know what your situation is, but I do know this. We all 100% face situations that reveal our hearts. It happens a lot. You know, God puts us in these situations. Sometimes they're subtle. Sometimes they're big. But the point is to reveal our heart condition, those spiritual EKGs. So how does yours check out? What are your results? Are you self-willed? Now, I don't know about you, but in my life, there's really two ways that people can interact with me. It's either my way or my way. Huh. Yeah, right. I, I know for a fact that that's not how it works, but, um, but I sure like that idea. Are you patient? Man, that's a tough one. Have you ever prayed for patience? If you pray for patience, get ready for some really interesting situations in your life. It's a good thing. Are you in love with stuff? Now, that's, a, that's another tough one, right? Do you take even when you don't need to take? I, I got to tell you, I, I will see, you know, you see those TV shows online about hoarders and all that, and that's just gross stuff, right? But I, if I don't watch my heart, I could eat my house, my garage, and I could rent a whole other storage unit and fill it up with needless things. Are we in love with stuff? Are you in love with leisure? Are you willing to spend your time engaged in the things that God is doing? Or are you content to just sit back and watch things on the, on the couch of life? Are you in love with you? Are you more focused on what you want now than on doing things God's way and having things in God's timing? See, God puts us in situations all the time that reveal the condition of our hearts. A lot of times they do. They focus through patience, through our lust, through our greed, and through our just desire for leisure. You know, it's painful enough when the true condition of my heart is revealed to me. But I got to tell you, it's even more painful when it's revealed to everyone else around me. That's when it really gets hard. Yeah, I think we all have repeated tests in our lives. I really do. Some would call them triggers. I don't like that word because I think it denotes the idea that we will always have defeat in these issues, these situations. But one of my repeated tests in life is around a fabulous sport called hockey. I love hockey. I love, love, love hockey. Um, I played hockey, started playing in middle school, and I played well into my 20s. Because when I found hockey... I was 1,000% in. I just love it. Love the game. And that's why hockey is such a big test in my life. Because what's about to go up on the screen is so true. The core issue of the heart is based on what we love. I must say that again because I think it's so important. The core issue of the heart is based on what we love. The biggest tests in our hearts are always based on what we love. It's not on what we would hate or what we would reject. No, it's wrapped up in what we truly love. And throughout my love affair with hockey, I got to tell you, my heart has been revealed to me in more painful situations than others. I remember um, 
My cousin got us, he scored some fantastic tickets for a Lightning playoff game. I'm from the Tampa Bay area, so the Tampa Bay Lightning are my team. And uh, they scored some, he just, these tickets were great. They were like five rows up. They were great seats. And they were playing that team from Detroit. So they're, they're playing this game. And I remember there was a section in the game where there was kind of a little bit of a tough up. And there was a Detroit player on top of a Lightning guy that I liked. And he was literally hitting him, which is against the rules, by the way, in hockey. Okay, but I was losing it. I was, I was calling for literal blood. And I mean, my, my cousin I was blushing. I was close enough where you could hear me on the ice. Okay, I was screaming. And I got to be honest with you, at that moment, I, I really wasn't playing. All right, I mean, it, was, it was real my heart pretty hard. I remember playing as a middle schooler. To my knowledge, the only bench-clearing brawl that ever happened in my hockey league I was at the center of, because I just, I couldn't handle it. One particular day, uh, my grandparents had come into town. They lived pretty far away, and it was a big deal that they were actually at a game. So I wanted so bad to show off my skills in front of them. I wanted to win. I was excited about it. And as we were playing, I don't remember exactly what happened, because honestly, stepping back now in the grand scheme, it didn't matter. But some punk on the other team took a cheap shot at me right in front of my grandparents, and I lost it. I mean, I just, I unleashed a verbal tirade on that guy that would make a construction worker proud. I, 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 and I'm not a four-letter word guy. That's really not who I am. It never has been. But at that moment, it flowed out of me in abundance because it was in my heart. And also, about two moments later, I was instantly embarrassed, both for myself, for my family, and from my testimony as a believer. Hockey has revealed my heart to me often. And thankfully, among hockey and other things, God offers hope and healing for our hearts. God wants our heart to be like his heart. God wants us to love the things he loves. That's why we were created. Life works best when we love his things. Unfortunately, we all know sin gets in the way, and the results, they're disastrous. The only solution, the only healing for our hearts is found in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, that relationship starts when we turn away from our sins and we trust Jesus Christ for his forgiveness. I want to share a verse from you from Acts chapter 3. It says, therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. I love that. This idea of repentance is you're walking this way towards sin, and you say, no, I don't want that anymore. So you turn around completely, the 180, and you start walking back. So, so Peter says, repent, turn back, so that your sins may be wiped out. And that seasons of refreshing, refreshing for our hearts and refreshing for our souls may come from the presence of the Lord. That's where it starts. That's where that relationship starts. Now, I understand that there are people listening today that may not be followers of Jesus. And if that's you, perhaps you feel the weight of this important decision on your soul today. Don't delay don't delay. We would love to help you at CityWalk Church. We have, we have connect cards 
if you're here in person, that Connect card is right in the pew in front of you. It's in the rack. Take it, put your name on there, fill out the appropriate boxes. We would love to be able to help you with resources and, and encouragement. If you're online, you're listening to this on, on our online platform, use our CityWalk app. The same Connect card is here. You can fill that out. And we want to be able to walk beside you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. It's so important. That decision matters. Now, if you're already a follower of Jesus, your relationship with God, with Jesus, will grow by spending consistent time in prayer and in the scriptures. Just like all relationships, communication is key. It's talking and listening. It's that simple. This is how David's relationship with God grew. I want you to think about it. Many of the Psalms were written by David. And during this time in his life, when he was out in the wilderness, think about it, he's sitting out every night looking at the stars, letting, listening to God's spirit, and just trying to commune. So here's what I want, to try, want you to try to do this week. I want you to set up a camp in your backyard and sleep out under the start. No, I do not want you to do that. Um, here's what I am going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you this week to read, on the way out, you're going to get one of these cards. And I'm going to ask you to read a, a couple verses from Psalm 19 every day this week. And I want you not just to read it. I want, you to, I want you to think about the words. I want you to meditate on them. I'd love it if you would turn these words into a prayer for yourself. And let God's word work in our lives. Open, leave some room this week for God to work in our hearts. So as the band comes... I want to encourage you. We serve, we serve an amazingly big God. You know, our God is, is working on my heart. He worked on David's heart. He's working on your heart. And he's even working on my friend Matt's heart. So I'm going to encourage you this week to make some room for God to work in your heart. Grab one of these cards on your way home. If you're listening online, this card is Psalm 19 verses 12 through 14. But take some time this week and listen to what God is saying. Let God work in your life. Let's make that room this week. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, we love you. God, we need you so badly. I, I ask that th these simple words that were shared this morning, that you would apply your spirit mightily upon truth. And that God, you would help my heart to be more in line with you this week. And I pray that same thing for everyone else who's going to hear this message. Help us to love you, to follow you, and to see the, what you want to do in our lives. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.